your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 as we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. In chapter 14 this morning, uh, the religious leaders are plotting to kill Jesus. It's a long chapter. In the first 52 verses, we have the events that lead up to Jesus' arrest. It was the Passover right now at this time. And there was possibly over a million people there preparing to celebrate the Passover. While Jesus was looking ahead and was preparing for the trial of his life, the crucifixion. And as we follow Jesus' footsteps during the days and the hours of his last week, it's interesting to see the different ways people responded to Jesus. And it's pretty typical of the way people respond to Jesus today. In verses 1 through 11, Jesus was worshipped. In verses 12 through 26, Jesus was betrayed. In verses 27 through 52, he was abandoned. In verses 53 through 72, he was rejected. And in chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, he was condemned. Let's begin now with chapter 14 with verses 1 and 2. And it says, After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. While Jesus faithfully prepared his heart for Jerusalem and doing his Father's will, the chief priests and the scribes were trying to work out a plan on how they might trick Jesus that they might put him to death. But in trying to figure out how to do this without causing an uproar, that was a problem. Because, you see, it would, be, it would, it would anger the Roman soldiers to have a riot take place, you know, under their authority. Verses 3 and 9. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant or angry among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Live her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, and whatever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. This is where we see Jesus worshipped. John chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, tells us that it was Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Mary is found three times in the Gospels, and each time she's at the feet of Jesus, a place where we all need to be. Mary had a close relationship with Jesus as she sat at his feet and listened to his word. She's a good example to follow. Mary was, was showing her love for Jesus because he was going to the cross to die for her. She was preparing his body for burial and showing her love for Jesus while he was still alive. 
This was an expensive offering that she gave to the Lord. The price of a jar of spikenard was equal to a year's wages for the everyday common laborer. Spikenard grows in the Himalayas, and they would extract the perfume of it. It came out as an oil, and it was used by the Romans for anointing the head. Now Mary gave generously, and she gave lovingly. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, it really doesn't bless God when we give to him, but inside we're going, oh man, I should have used that today, or I could use that for whatever payment I may have, or something I wanted to buy, or some need that I have. God would just have you keep it if we're going to give it to him grudgingly because it doesn't bless him. He loves a cheerful giver. Others were secretly plotting Jesus' death. Mary was openly showing her love. So we have the two different scenes here. There were those who were secretly plotting to kill Jesus, and Mary here was openly showing her love and devotion for Jesus, and she wasn't ashamed or afraid to do so. Now, we should show our love for Jesus Christ openly. You know, there are reactions and consequences to our open worship. First here, John tells us the house was filled in John 12, 3. He says the house was filled with the sweet smell of the perfume. Because there's always a beautiful fragrance, an atmosphere in a home where Jesus is being ministered to and where he's loved and where he's worshipped. Paul said, we are to God the fragrance of Christ. And we need to ask, is the fragrance of Christ in our home? Or is there an atmosphere full of tension and and bitter and, and, and anger? But there were also some angry people who looked at what Mary did as a, as a waste, verse 4 says. And she was criticized for it. In John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, John tells us that Judas really wanted the money for himself. And he criticized Mary for wasting what he called wasting the money when he himself wasted his whole life. But notice Jesus' life. And that's the most important life to notice. Jesus supports Mary. He approved of what Mary did. While some were angry and they gave their critical opinion like, what a waste. Jesus said, she has done a good work for me. Here's the lesson. No matter what other people say about our worship and about our service, the most important thing is that we please the Lord. That it's pleasing to God. Just because others don't understand us or they might criticize us, that should never stop us from showing our love and our adoration and our worship for Jesus Christ. We should only care about His approval, His acceptance. So as a result, what she did, Jesus promised that the history of, of, of her uninhibited, loving generosity would be told everywhere as a memorial to her. And notice, here we are this morning. Speaking of what she had done, it being a memorial to her. Why is, it that, why is what Mary did to Jesus so beautiful? Well, Charles Spurgeon said this. Number one, 
It was glorifying to Jesus. Number two, it was an act of pure love by Mary. Three, it was done with considerable sacrifice. And fourth, it was done with preparation. Verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him, that is Jesus, to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray Christ. In verses 1 and 2, the priests had already decided to get rid of Jesus. Judas had watched Mary show her love and adoration to Jesus, and Judas got angry. And what does he do? He joins forces with the enemy. He joins forces with the priests, and he agrees to betray Jesus. He wants to help them. Now, why would one of the disciples, and in this case Judas, do such an unthinkable thing? I mean, Judas had the best pastor. He had the best leader. He had the best teacher. He had the wisest and best friend, and yet he still blew it. He still failed. Here's the point. Many times the problem is not the leadership of the church you go to. If your attitude doesn't change or your character is not transformed, you will always be the same. You'll you'll always be the same. The most likely guess why Judas failed would be that he was disappointed in Jesus. And that maybe Jesus fell short of Judas' ideas of what the Messiah should be. And that's usually the case. We have our own thoughts about Jesus and how he should go before us and how he should answer our prayer and the things that he should do. We have it all figured out. And then when it doesn't turn out that way, we go, well, you know, we get angry at Jesus. Somewhere along the way, Judas gave in to stinking thinking. Wrong thoughts about Jesus. Doubts. Doubts you know, about Jesus in Judas' heart. He had doubts in his heart about Jesus. He had doubts. And when you have doubts, in this case, Judas swung the doors of his heart open to Satan. Like Eve did when she doubted God's word. Like David when he sinned with Bathsheba. With selfishness feeling Judas' heart it moved in. Selfishness moved in. And, and it was to do whatever he could. And right away, he looked for a chance to hand Jesus over to the scribes and the Pharisees by trickery. Verses 12 through 16. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as Jesus had said to them, And they prepared the Passover. Here now in these verses, we see the betrayal. First, we saw him worshiped. Now we're going to see him betrayed. 
the time was quickly approaching when the Lamb of God would be killed and He would become our Passover. Now the Passover lambs were killed in the temple in the afternoon and the Passover meal was eaten between sunset and midnight the same day. The disciples wondered where Jesus was going to have them, you know, eat the Passover. And so those living in Jerusalem were required to open their homes to Passover pilgrims just for that reason. So Jesus sends out two of his disciples into the city with instructions, okay, to keep people from finding out where that Passover would be eaten. They were to follow a man carrying a pitcher of water. Now, the custom was usually that the women carried the water jar, so it wouldn't be hard to, uh, to find this man. Wherever this man goes, they were to ask him if he had a guest room so that they could use it for, to eat the Passover. That's where they expected to find a room to prepare the meal. So when the disciples found this room, as Jesus said, that's where they ate the Passover. Verses 17 through 25. In the evening, Jesus came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say, or to say to him, one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And, when, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in new, drink it uh, new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a song, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So the Lord instituted, uh, institutes the supper here. So the Passover meal was prepared. And in the evening, Jesus and his disciples came to celebrate uh, Israel's you know, escape from Egypt. The fact that God turns the wrath of a man to his praises doesn't excuse the wrath of the man. In other words, when a man you know, sins or commits an evil and God uses it to carry out his will or, or for his glory, that does not excuse the man of what he did. Because God never tempts with evil. He never causes a man to do evil. Now sometime during the meal, Mark doesn't mention it here, but Judas left the light and the love of that fellowship and the Lord and he went into the dark. And Judas never came back. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, he had taught them that he was the bread from heaven. And that unless men ate his flesh and drank his blood, they would have no life in them. John chapter 6. And again, it's not speaking of, of cannibalism. When he says, unless they ate my flesh and drank my blood, what he was saying, unless you take me in, I can't be a part of you. 
No, we have to take him in. I mean, you look at Judas and how close he was to Judas all, all those years that he you know, ate with him, slept with him, ministered with him and to him, and, and, and he saw the things Jesus did. Look, look how close Judas was, and yet he betrayed him. You can be close to Christ physically, but your heart far away. And that's what you had here. That's why he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you got to take him in. That's how, you, that's how you're nourished by Christ. He's in you. He's a part of you. He's not just something that, that you know by intellect or you know at a distance. So it, it, without taking him in, Jesus told him, you have no life in me. You have no life in me. Maybe the disciples remember this and started to see what Jesus meant when he said, eat this, eat this is my body. And taking the cup, it was passed around during the meal. After giving thanks, he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant with, which, is, which is shed for many. And even though Jesus seriously admitted that he would never drink of the cup with them again, he looked beyond the cross and the tomb to a time of fellowship with them when he would drink it new in the kingdom with them after the resurrection and in the heavenlies with jesus the last word is always hope verses 26 through 31 here now we see jesus forsaken verse 26 through 31 and when they had sung us sung a hymn they went out to the mount of olives Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to Peter, Assuredly I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said, but he spoke more vehemently. He said, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, likewise. So here we have the scattering of the sheep, and we see Jesus forsaken here. He's been worshipped, you know, he's been forsaken now. And and, um, so the Passover meal is finished with a song, according to verse 26. And most likely it was Psalm, uh, Psalm 115 through Psalm 118. While they were probably walking to the Mount of Olives, Jesus made another shocking announcement. He says to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me. And like a shepherd that's smitten, the sheep are scattered. He said, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And even though his death would scatter the sheep, His resurrection would bring the shepherd back to reunite them, to bring them back together. And I'm sure when Jesus said this, when he made this statement, the disciples were shocked. But Peter, not uh, not Peter, (laughs) with great assurance, he says to Jesus, hey, even if everybody stumbles, not me. Not me. And with the same assurance, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, tonight, Before the rooster crows twice, you are going to deny me three times. But Peter, man, he's trying to get a hold of his fears and and he speaks even stronger. He He says, even if I have to die with you, 
I will not deny you, Lord. And everybody else chimed in. They all felt the same way. Verse 32 through 42 now. 32 through 42. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he, and he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther, and he fell to the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but what you will. Then he came, but then he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and he prayed and he spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is, is being betrayed into the hands of the, of the sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Here we see Jesus' agony in Gethsemane. Jesus and the disciples now come to Gethsemane knowing what lies ahead. Jesus felt a great need for prayer and fellowship. And remember, he got the victory on the cross. But I believe it's because he spent this time with Gethsemane in prayer. He knew he was going to the cross. That's why he needed to go there and pray. That's why he got the victory. This is what you need when you're going through trials. You need to spend that time in prayer, not in isolation. People, a lot of times, they withdraw. But they need to spend that time in prayer. And like Jesus said, he wanted his friends to come with him. We need to be with those and pray with those in times of trial. He wanted his friends close by while he prayed. He said in verse 32, sit here while I pray. He needed that, that, that support of his fellows, his fellowship. The full force of the cross and what that meant to take the sin of the world upon him, it began to hit Jesus. It began to sink in. You know, sometimes when those difficult times, you see them still out in the distance, it really, you know, well, yeah, it's coming, but it's far away. But the closer it gets, the, the, the more distressed you get. And that day that it comes, you go, oh man, this is, it's finally gotten here. Jesus takes Peter and he takes James and he takes John with him. Jesus was troubled and he was deeply distressed, verse 33 says. Those who had once seen Christ's glory were now going to share in his agony. And Mark describes it in the strongest possible language. When it says that he is deeply, uh, when he's troubled and deeply distressed, he speak, it says it's the horror and dismay that came over him. It was as if, as if he were sick to death. Phillips, a commentator, says, My heart is nearly breaking. Stay here and keep watch for me. I mean, he was feeling the distress and the, the, the troubleness of the cross. Jesus always knew the cross was waiting for him. 
But now, man, it was just hours away. The cost of rejecting the easy way was now becoming very clear. Satan had tempted him in the wilderness. You can have all of this. Just bow down and worship me. But again, he knew what the Father's will was. But now he's seen the cost of rejecting the easy way. It says here that he went a little farther in verse 35. And you know what that's neat? Thank God that he always does. He always goes a little farther for us. Always. The way this verse is written seems to suggest the picture of Jesus staggering and stumbling until he fell on the ground, crying out to the Lord or crying out loud in agony of his soul. Jesus' prayer life is an example as well as a rebuke to Christians that don't pray. His prayer is evidence of his humanity. He had a need to pray. He had to pray. It's an example of his constant devotion to the will of the Father. As a man, he wanted to withdraw from the cross. He said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, so be it. The bottom line was, but Lord, if it's your will, I'm going to do it. He wanted to withdraw from the cross and he wanted to withdraw from the separation from the Father that it was going to bring him. He was going to identify now with sinful men. And because all of, all of, all of the world's sin was going to be heaped upon him, he would become the object of God's wrath against sin. And here he's pleading, Father, please take this cup away from me. Lord, is there another way that we can do this? There wasn't. It had to be the cross. And it's important that Jesus saw the cup of suffering that was planned for him by the Father. Because the hour of suffering or, or, or the frightening responsibility is bearable when it's the God of holiness and the love of God who calls us to go through it. And when it's all over, we'll be stronger. If, here's the thing, if we accept the cup, then, if, then it would be if we refused it. You see, submitting to the will of God is the attitude of a spirit-filled life. Jesus' loneliness was never more distressing than when he went back and he finds his friends asleep. Just a few hours earlier, he had urged them. In chapter 13, 35 through 36, he said, watch. Watch so that he doesn't kind of come and find you sleeping. And then he singles out Peter. And he singles out Peter probably because Peter had been the most vocal out of the, out of the group. But once again, Jesus warns Peter to watch and pray. He warns all of them to watch and pray. And that's needed. And that's effective in times of trial. And then verse 39 says, Once again, Jesus goes away to pray, and he goes to pray the same prayer. And when he comes back, he finds them asleep again. And embarrassed, notice verse 40, they didn't know what to say. 
Really, the best thing would have been to say nothing. You've been caught a couple of times sleeping and, and re lovingly rebuked. Comes back a third time. Now, they don't know what to say. They didn't know what to answer him. Then Jesus goes to prayer for the third time in verse 41, and this time he returns and he tells them, my time has come. Are you still sleeping? Still resting? He says, it's enough. Come on, get up. My betrayer is at hand. Now in verses 43 through 50, we see the arrest. We see the arrest. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stuck, uh, stood by drew his sword and struck the servant uh, of the high priest uh, and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered him, Have you come out as against robber, a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Notice he's been forsaken. He's now arrested. He's been worshipped. What Judas did here is unimaginable. Always keep in mind, G Judas lived so close with Jesus during his ministry. Ate with him, fellowship with him. How could he close his heart to the Son of God? It's a, I mean, it's a sobering thing to think about. He was chosen by Jesus. And was confidently put in charge of the Funds of the group. How he could be guilty of such disloyalty to Christ. And when the disciples saw that Jesus wasn't going to resist. And that the heavenly father appeared to be doing nothing. Everybody took off. Jesus didn't do anything. The father didn't do anything. They left Jesus all by himself. They're thinking he's not the Messiah. No Messiah would be treated like this. He would have gone into action. He'd have wiped them out. They thought he wasn't the Messiah that he should be. That they thought he should be. You see, they had their own ideas of what Jesus should be. They had their own ideas about how Jesus should do things, about what he should do in this situation. So when he didn't meet up to their expectations, they doubted him and they take off. And I've heard that many times over the years. I was a Christian once and I said, well, but it just didn't work out for me. As if, as if Jesus was to be this, this genie in a bottle that, that you rub and when he comes out, you have all of these wishes and he's to obey your command. And then if he doesn't, well, I'm done. You know, it, it didn't work for me. I tried it once. It's not like riding a bike. I tried it once and I didn't like it or I fell off. They didn't leave him because they lacked courage. 
They left him. It was a matter of faith. Doubt removes courage. Fear will paralyze us sometimes. It will immobilize us sometimes. The disciples ran away because their faith was shaky. Verse 51 and 52. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, we don't know who this witness is, but it could be a, it could be a personal memory of Mark's, and maybe it could be a secret, way, a discreet way of Mark saying, hey, I'm that guy. I was the one who was there. And then in 53 through 72, we see the trials, the crucifixion, and the burial. Here we see Jesus rejected. Verses 53 through 72. And they led Jesus away to the high priests, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance. Notice, followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. Followed him at a distance, right into the enemy's place. And he sat with the servants, and he warmed himself. He warmed himself at the enemy's fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore witness, or many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some arose, rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even, but not even then did their testimony agree. So you have all these people giving all these stories, but none of them, none of them agreed. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and he said, What further need do we have of witness? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out onto the porch and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied them. And the, but he denied them. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Both the Jewish and Roman trials were in three stages. The Jewish trial was opened by Annas, the former high priest. Then it moved to the full council to hear witnesses, according to verses 53 through 65 here. Then to, it went to an early morning session for the final vote of condemnation in Mark 15, verse 1. Then Jesus went, was sent to Pilate 
in Mark 15, who sent him to Herod, who returned him to Pilate in Mark 15, and Pilate gave, him to, uh, gave in to the cry of the mob and turned Jesus over to be crucified. By the time the soldiers got to the palace of the high priest, Peter and John, who totally neglected Jesus' repeated warnings, followed the mob and even went into the courtyard. That night, Jesus had sweat great drops of blood, Luke says in chapter twenty-two, forty-four. But Peter was cold and he sat by the enemy's fire. The two disciples couldn't witness the actual trial, but at least they were close enough to see how it turned out. Then after questioning and insulting Jesus, Annas sent Jesus bound to his son-in-law Caiaphas, the high priest. The Sanhedrin was assembled and the witnesses were ready. Now, you had to have at least two witnesses before the accused person could be declared guilty and worthy of death. And we read that many witnesses testified against Jesus. But it says they, not, they didn't agree. They didn't agree. Their testimonies didn't agree. They were no good. And here's the sad thing. How a group of religious leaders would encourage the people to lie. Especially during the special holy season of Passover. Throughout this time of false accusation, Jesus didn't say a word. He didn't stick up for himself. He didn't try to defend himself. But when the high priest put him under oath, Jesus had to say something. He had to reply. And he testified clearly that he was truly the Son of God. The title, the Son of Man, it's a messianic title. And the members of the council knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he said Son of Man. He was claiming to be God who had come in human flesh. Now, this kind of a claim, such a claim of bla was blasphemy to the Jews. And so they pronounced him guilty and worthy of death. And since it was wrong for the Sanhedrin to vote on capital cases at night, the council met again early the next morning and they gave the official sentence in Mark 15.1. We'll see that next week. While Jesus was being mocked and while he was being abused, Peter was in the courtyard with the enemy, trying to keep from being noticed. Now, if he would have listened to the Lord's warnings, he would have avoid, avoided walking into temptation and denying his master three times. That's why he told him, come, let's pray. Watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. This is, Peter, Peter's a warning to all of us this morning. Because if an apostle who walked with Jesus denied his Lord, I wonder what we might do in a similar circumstance. The Roman, the Roman believers who read Mark's gospel, they no doubt learned from this, this incident. Because they would soon be entering the furnace of persecution themselves. So first of all here, one of the high priest's servant girls spoke to Peter. Hey, you're one of them. And he denied it. He, he denied knowing anything about Jesus. And then the rooster crowed. Another servant girl pointed Peter out to some bystanders and said, hey, he's one of them. Peter denied knowing Jesus again. And finally, a man accused him of being one of the disciples and some of the uh, uh, bystanders joined in. But Peter strongly denied knowing Jesus and even, you know, even cursing 
putting himself under a curse. And then the rooster crowed a second time, and the Lord's prediction was fulfilled. Here's the thing. It wasn't the crowing of the rooster that convicted Peter. It was remembering what Jesus said. Peter, I told you. And I know when I've messed up and, and you know, I, 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 you know, I know, I, I, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, it's, it's always the Holy Spirit. And you know, man, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. And you remember what the Bible says. You remember the Holy Spirit saying, this is a no-no. But you do it anyway. And that's what Peter's going through. He, he, it's not the rooster crowing. It's, it's Jesus said. Jesus said this would happen. That's why it's so important that we always obey the word of God. It's always the word of God that pierces the heart and brings about true repentance. Peter thought about what Jesus had said to him. He thought about what he had done. And then Jesus, on his way to Pilate's hall, he turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? It would be a look of love towards Peter, but it would be a hurt look by Jesus. Peter's heart was broken, and it says he went out quickly and he wept bitterly. What else could you do? What else could you do? In closing, you know, we, we look at Peter, especially in this incident, and the things that he said, the things that he did, I don't know you, I, and, and he cursed, so I don't know you, and he was cursing about it and, and just denying the Lord. And, and we can really get down on Peter. But you know, we need to examine our own lives. How many times have we denied Jesus and lost opportunities to share the gospel with other people? Do we, like Peter, talk when we should listen? Argue when we should obey? Sleep when we should pray? And fight when we should submit? That's a losing combination. At least Peter was sorry for his sins. And he wept over them. And of course, Jesus forgave him. And then after Jesus' resurrection... Jesus had a private meeting with Peter. And then Jesus helped Peter make a public confession when he met the disciples in Galilee in John chapter 21. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And so he forgave Peter and Jesus reinstated Peter into the ministry. And that's the wonderful thing about the Lord. When we mess up, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us all of our sins. But again, it's when we, it's when we argue and, and kick against the goads and think we know better when we get in all that trouble. But may we submit to him, yield to him, as he said, to deny ourselves pick up our cross and follow him. Father, we thank you again for this chapter. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for these examples of the different way people responded to Christ, Lord. 
They worshiped him. Some abandoned him. Some rejected him. Lord, it's just all the different responses that people make. Father, help us to always yield to him, Lord, to obey him and to yield. Father, that we would be men and women of God, acceptable to Jesus. May we always do the right thing, Lord. May we always look to your word for all of the answers, God. And always remember, what did Jesus say? And Father, we thank you and we pray for the offering that we will receive this morning, God. And we pray again that um, you would be glorified in all that we do here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.